Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. God, we, we come to you at the end of a, or rather at the be, beginning of a week, but following a week that was hectic, that was chaotic, that was troubling in so many different ways. From more shootings to, to tragic Storms happening in Lake Charles down in Louisiana. It just seems to never end in 2020 yet. And we thank you, Father, that in the midst of it all, that you are still sovereign, that you are still in control. And so we just affirm again our trust in you. You are so much smarter than us. You are so much holier than us. You are so, so much better at running things than we ever would be. And so we just trust you in the midst of it all, Father. And following another hard week, we, we need a fresh word from you, God. We need fresh encouragement. We need insight. We need discernment. We need a fire in our belly. And so I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak through me, that you would speak through this text, that it would encourage us, that it would give us discernment, that it would put that fire in our belly that we desperately need, Father. Please come, Holy Spirit. Please put fire in my words, Father. Empower me. Give Wait, authority to my words, Father. Help me to, to accurately bring today's text that it might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're currently in the, the middle of a series that we've been calling Lessons from the Wilderness. And over the course of this series, we've been examining some of the wilderness experiences of different biblical characters, hoping to learn from their stories, their successes, as well as their failures, of course, that we too might follow Jesus well in the midst of our, our wilderness journeys. And today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 28. So if you have your Bible with you, why don't you head to, to the very front of your Bible, Genesis chapter 28. And as you turn there, I'm going to catch you up on the story. Genesis chapter 25, we're first introduced to Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. And the portrait we're given of Jacob is not a very flattering one. After stealing his brother's Esau's birthright, ensuring that, that Jacob and not Esau would receive a, a double portion of his father's estate and inheritance, Jacob deceived his elderly father into giving him the blessing of the eldest son instead of Esau. And when Esau learned that Jacob had not just taken away his birthright, but also had stolen his, his blessing as the eldest son, Esau decided to kill Jacob. And so Jacob, fearing for his life, he skipped town and headed for the wilderness, hoping to eventually stay with his uncle Laban in Haran. And that's where we're at in our story. Jacob is on the run, he's in the wilderness, and he's all alone. So here's what we read in Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to be starting in verse 10. This is what we read. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. 
Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now let's stop there for for just a moment. So what is up with this giant stairway that has angels ascending and descending on it? You know, the older translations, you might be familiar with the older ones, they called this stairway a ladder. And so perhaps you've heard the term Jacob's ladder. But stairway is probably the more accurate term. And so what does this stairway represent? Well, the stairway represents the truth that heaven is, in fact, connected to the earth. God is not some distant deity who is ignorant of our problems or unable to help us. Rather, there is a a bridge or a stairway that actually connects heaven to earth so that the resources of heaven might come to us as the angels ascend and descend from God's presence. God is saying to Jacob, you thought you were all alone, Jacob, but you had no idea that a stairway exists between heaven and earth. I am invested in this world. I'm invested in your life. That's what God is saying to Jacob. Let's continue reading through the end of the chapter. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is God's word. Now, what are the lessons that we learn from Jacob's encounter with God in the wilderness? Well, here's the first. Here's the first lesson. Today's passage teaches us that God doesn't pursue the deserving. Doesn't pursue the deserving. Jacob, as we've already seen, he wasn't up for any Citizen of the Year awards, was he? He deceived his own father. He betrayed his own brother, and he ran off into the wilderness without stopping to face the music. Not only that, but Jacob had given no indication at this point in his life that he was even a follower of his father's God. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 20, Jacob refers to his father Isaac's God as your God. Your God. Not not my God. He he said, your God. And yet, despite his trickery, despite his lack of pursuit of God here in the wilderness, God meets him. God shows up in a dream. And this fact should, should not surprise us at all, should it? I mean, throughout Scripture, God attempts to drill into our heads that his pursuit of his people, it's not based on pedigree or performance, but rather it's It's on the basis of free grace. And so listen, this this passage should absolutely inform our prayer life. It should inform, it should instruct our own prayer life. Because all of us know some Jacobs in our life, don't we? And I'm not simply referring to those in our life who have absolutely blown up their lives like like Jacob blew up his. I'm referring to anyone in your life that, that you would say that 
they just feel like an unlikely candidate for God's blessing. Anyone you know who has pushed God away, who has rationalized their sins, and who shows little desire to follow Jesus. Genesis chapter 28, along with the Bible as a whole, it reminds us that every Jacob that we know, every Jacob you know is just simply one encounter away from a completely different story, a completely different life. And so let us be people who just pray and pray and pray for the Jacobs in our life. Let us pray that that they too would say, the Lord is in this place. And and I did not know it. Let us be people who who pray that those around us who who would refer to God as as your God would suddenly begin to, to refer to God as their God, as my God. It happened to Jacob, and it can happen to our friends, it can happen to our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors. Let us pray, church, let us pray. You know, it's easy, it really is. When you care about someone, when you deeply care about someone who's just not interested in the things of God, to lament or complain about their lack of faith, right? To come before the Lord and just complain, or in your own heart to just complain about their lack of faith. But I, I think sometimes we need to be critical of our own lack of faith. Sometimes we, we need to say, wait, 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 where is my faith in the Lord? Because I, I follow a God. I serve a God who met Jacob in the wilderness after he'd run away. And, and I serve a God who set aside Matthew, who is oppressing his own people as a tax collector and said, this is going to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. I serve the God who called Paul the church's chief persecutor and said, you are going to lead the missionary effort to the Gentiles. I serve a God who pursued me, who chased me down when when most of us would say we, we wanted nothing to do with him. This is the God that we serve. Where is my faith, God? How am I not pressing in and praying and asking you over and over again to intervene in the life of people I care about? You know, you might be a parent who has an an older adult son or daughter who grew up in the church, but it's just drifted away. Perhaps you have a sibling that you've just been praying for for years to no avail, just praying for years that, that they would be led to church, that they would be led back to the Lord. You might have a friend at school or a friend at work that you care deeply for and you just connect with on so many different levels. But that whenever you try to, to, to broach the topic of God, they, they just shut the conversation down. They just don't want to talk about it. Friend, do not lose hope. Do not stop praying and sharing with those in your life who've pushed God away. Perhaps, you know, some of us, just by way of application, perhaps some of us even today would, would just say, God, today I am recommitting, recommitting to pray for those in my life. that that don't know the Lord, that I I care for deeply. And and we do this, friends, because our God loves to intervene in the the life of Jacob's. He does. He's done it in the past, and he's just going to keep on doing it. That is who he is. That is what he does. Secondly, Jacob's story teaches us that our greatest need in the wilderness is to experience God. That's the second point of today's text. Our greatest need in the wilderness is to experience, to encounter God afresh. 
Listen, why was, God, why, why was Jacob's encounter with God in the wilderness so impactful? Why did it absolutely change the trajectory of his life? For, for think about it, this, this encounter with God, it did not change Jacob's circumstances, did it? He, he was still alone in the wilderness when he woke up. He had still absolutely betrayed his family. And, and this encounter with God, it did not bring him any new information. At the start of Genesis chapter 28, in a passage we did not read, Isaac, Jacob's father, he prayed a blessing over Jacob. And Isaac's prayer promised Jacob virtually the same blessings that God would speak to Jacob later on in the passage that we just read. It's virtually the same blessings. I'm going to give you the land. You're going to rule over your brother. You're going to to have many descendants. The blessings are, are... are almost synonymous. There was no change in circumstances. There was no new info given. And so what changed for Jacob? What changed? Well, here's what changed. In the wilderness, Jacob actually encountered God. That's what changed. He received assurance through this dream that all that he had heard about God was true. It was all true. The presence of God and the glory of God and the promises of God were no longer simply theory to Jacob. For Jacob had experienced, encountered this God he'd been told about. You know, friends, in the midst of a pandemic like this, it's easy to think, if only we could just get life back to where it was. If only we could just get life back to February of 2020. If only we could get college football back. If only we could hug again. If only we could... Return to church as normal, as usual. If only we could get back to just going to the movies or, or going bowling or going putt-putt without having, to walking through some, without having to walk through some strange protocol, right? And, and look, I, I want all of those things, too. I want all of those things, too. I want Buckeye football back. I, I, want, I want movies back. I want church as normal back. But our, our greatest need in this time, church, it's not a change in circumstances, For if you and I could go back in a time machine and head back to February of 2020 and talk to our former self, talk to to you in February of 2020, we, we would be told by our former self that our life was not perfect then. I mean, February of 2020, for some of us, it just seems like decades ago. But if you could head back there, you would be reminded by by. February 2020, you, that you had a lot on your plate, that you felt overwhelmed, or you felt anxious, or you had some unanswered prayer in your life that you were trying to work out with the Lord. Returning to life as normal, that's not the answer. That's not ultimately the solution. And and what's needed furthermore in our life isn't mere head knowledge. You know, if you've been around for a while, you're acquainted with the promises of God with his promises that he has for his followers. You know that you have an eternity waiting for you in heaven. You know that you've been adopted as a son, as a daughter of God. Praise God for that. No, but what you and I really need at this time, the most pressing need for you and for me, is to experience God afresh. That's what we need. What we need most is for the Holy Spirit to speak directly to our hearts assuring us that our God is with us, that he sees us, that he's in control, and that his promises still remain. That's what we need. Friends, can can you remember, can you remember the last time you felt like God stopped you in your tracks? 
Just think about this with me for a moment. Can, can, you, can you take yourself there in your head right now? Can you remember the last time you just felt like God stopped you in your tracks? Do you remember the last time that his holiness or his power or his love or his goodness suddenly became utterly real to you? Do you remember that? This is what we desperately need in the wilderness. And listen, I'm not even suggesting that this encounter with God has to be overly dramatic or emotional. I'm not suggesting it has to be some mountaintop experience where you spend seven days, you know, in some log cabin in solitude and have this crazy vision of the Lord. That's not, I mean, if, if that's what God puts on your heart, I mean, go for it, you know, swing for the fences. But that's not even what I'm saying right now. All of us relate to God differently. All of us have different temperaments and backgrounds and way that we connect with the Lord. But what I am suggesting is this. All of us desperately need an encounter with God at the heart level. An encounter that, that brings a fresh assurance that God is real, that he's with you, that he sees you. An encounter that causes God to say, the Lord is in this place. He's with me. He's for me. He's invested in my life. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, he wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians, while imprisoned in Rome, and he was at the very end of his life. He knew that his time was short. He was imprisoned in Rome, and he knew that his, his execution was impending. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul wrote this. I love this verse. He said, What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now that word knowing or, or know is a Greek word which conveys experiential knowledge. He's not talking about head knowledge here. It's experiential knowledge. When young Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she was going to be with child, she said, how can this be since I have never known a man? That's what it is in the Greek. How can this be? I've never known a man. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.8. Mary was saying, I I've never experienced physical intimacy with a man. It's a, a knowledge that involves experience. And, and Paul says to us, look, I have lived a long life. I, I mean, think about all that Paul had seen at this point. A lot of highs, a lot of lows. You go to the end of 2 Corinthians and he ticks off all the things that he had to walk through. I mean, a lot of lows, a lot of highs. He says, I've seen a lot of things. And I can tell you, I can tell you that everything else in this life is worthless. It's just worthless. I consider it a loss compared to the experiential knowledge of Christ. He said, knowing Christ, experiencing him, receiving this assurance of his love, of his care for me, of the fact that he sees me. Everything else in this life, everything this life has to offer is just worthless compared to that. You can chase fame, you can chase sex, you can chase money. He says, I, I don't want any of it compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Friend, friend, do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know him? Have you experienced the Father's love in this way, the, spirit, the Spirit's comfort, the Savior's embrace? Listen to me, do not settle. Do not compromise. Do not resign your life 
to a, a life of, of following Jesus that does not involve actually experiencing the God that you serve. In 1999, a, a woman in the English city of Hull, she won a huge lottery payout, millions of dollars, and she refused to collect her winnings. Can you imagine that? You, you go to a convenience store, you go to the gas station, you pay money for a lottery ticket, and then you say, actually, pretty content with my financial situation right now, so I'm just not going to go and collect my winnings. It's not worth the gas money to me. This really happens. And finally, at the 11th hour, at the very last moment, her, her family, who probably wanted a cut of the money, let's be real, finally convinced this woman to collect her winnings before the money would have just gone back to the English government. And I believe that this is an accurate picture of many of us in the church. We've entered into a relationship with Jesus. We know that our salvation is secure. That box, it's been checked. Praise God, we're going to be with him for all eternity. And so like this woman in Hall, we're just content with our lot. We have all we need. But there's more treasure available for us that we simply haven't collected for ourselves. Do you know this? The treasure of knowing our Lord experientially. The treasure of hearing God's voice and experiencing, experiencing Jesus' love as we pray, as we worship, as we read our Bibles. There's just so much more available for many of us. You know, my, my prayer as a, a pastor of this church, my, my prayer is that a passage like Genesis 28 and many others like it throughout the Bible would just put some holy discontent in your heart. That it would put a longing in your heart to experience more of Jesus. I, I pray that this passage would cause you to say things like this. I am praying like never before. I've always kind of struggled with prayer. It's always been kind of a, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. But I'm just praying like never before. And I'm fasting. I am actually fasting. I haven't fasted in years or ever. But I'm, I'm fasting and I'm praying and asking God for a breakthrough that I might experience his love. You know, I'm praying that, that you might say, I'm waking up earlier than I have in years. I'm setting an alarm clock every night. Setting it, making sure that it's set so that I can wake up and spend time with Jesus. I haven't confessed my, my sins with such ruthless honesty to a friend in years like I am right now. Because I, I'm just trying to free myself from anything that would jeopardize my intimacy with the Lord. Because I, I just can't settle for life as normal anymore. This is what I'm praying for you. You would say this. I just can't settle for life as normal anymore. This year has been too hard. The news is too bleak. And my life is just too short to settle, to compromise. I'm, I'm pressing into Jesus that I might experience his love and his presence and his goodness like I haven't in years. That's what I desire for you. For it's an encounter with God that we most need in the wilderness. It's what you know, most need. It's what Jacob really needed. Not a change in circumstances, not new info. He already had the promises. He needed an encounter with God that, that he would know that he knows that he knows that God is real. 
Here's my, my last point. Lastly, today's passage teaches us that our, our relationship with God is saturated with grace from beginning to end. That's the last point from today's passage. Our relationship with God is saturated with grace from beginning to end. Let's look at verse 18 through 22 again. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob has this amazing encounter with God, which naturally leads him to pray. But as we examine his prayer, I wonder how many of you notice that his prayer really falls short. You know, I'm not one for criticizing other people's prayer, but, but this prayer just seemed to kind of reek of immaturity, didn't it? For, for God, with, without conditions, had just promised that he was going to give Jacob this land, and that he promised that he would be with him. But Jacob's Prayer, it's just full of conditional statements, isn't it? If God will be with me, then the Lord will be my God. You know, I don't typically recommend promising conditional faithfulness to the Lord. It's not a, it's not a good look. His prayers it show us that Jacob still has a long way to go. Still has a lot of maturing left to do. And if you know anything about Jacob's story, you know that that's going to happen. So why doesn't the Lord revoke the promises given to Jacob? Why doesn't he just give up on him? And, and furthermore, why doesn't the Lord just give up on us, considering all we've put him through since becoming followers of Jesus? Well, the answer is found in, in John chapter 1. And just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the passage for us, but, but let me summarize what happens in John chapter 1 very quickly. In, in John chapter 1, Philip and then Nathaniel become followers of Jesus. Many of you are familiar with this story. Upon meeting Nathaniel, Jesus shares that he prophetically saw Nathaniel under the fig tree before either of them had ever met. And understandably, Nathaniel says, this must be the Messiah. How else could he have seen me under the fig tree? But then Jesus gives us this amazing response. I love what Jesus says. He tells Nathanael that he will see even greater things than that. You will see heaven open, Jesus says, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here in John chapter 1, Jesus is actually referring back to today's passage. He's referring to Genesis chapter 28. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying this. I am the stairway that connects heaven and earth. Through me, the blessings of heaven will come down. And through me, there is a way to the Father. That's what he's saying. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending to the Son of Man. It's not what he says. As if Jesus is up at the top of the stairway hanging out with the Father. That's not what he says. He says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on, on the Son of Man. The way to heaven is through Jesus. We're given access to the Father through Jesus. Listen, every other religion says this. I know I'm, I'm going to be painting with broad 
strokes here, so if you're well acquainted with other religions, forgive me, but this is broad strokes. Every other religion says this. If you personally climb up the steps, if you, in other words, observe the right requirements, you can climb your way to God. You can pursue the five pillars of Islam if you're a Muslim. You can observe the Ten Commandments if you're a Jew. You can pursue the eightfold path if you're Buddhist. You can walk up these steps. You can observe these requirements and make your way to God. There is a, a stairway to God, these other religions would say, and you've got to start on earth and you've got to make your way up to God at the top. And friend... If you try to make your way to God by following the right steps, two things are going to happen. Number one, you are going to feel guilty all of the time. Constantly evaluating your performance, constantly assessing if you're measuring up. Some of you know this one. And number two, you're going to fluctuate back and forth between guilt on the one hand and entitlement. Entitlement. There's just going to be this vacillation, this fluctuation back and forth, guilt entitlement. You're going to end up entitled. You're going to end up thinking, if not actually saying out loud, God, I've walked up all these steps for you. This past year, I've walked up 1,472 steps for you. Where are the blessings I'm owed? Where is the life that I deserve? Where is the favor that I've earned? And you'll fluctuate back and forth. Deep guilt, deep sense that I'm not measuring up, and then this deep sense of entitlement. I've done all these things for you, Lord. Where are you at? Where is the life I deserve? But Jesus comes to us and he says, don't you see? Don't, don't, don't you see? I've done away with the steps. I've done away with the steps. He says, I am the steps. I am the stairway. The way to the Father is through me. This is why God did not kick Jacob to the curb for his immature prayer. This is why God has continued to stick by you and by me despite our inconsistency and our apathy and our sin. And this is why salvation is available to all who come to Jesus. And so listen, if you're here and you would say, I do not have a relationship with Jesus right now that's making a real difference in my life. And you would say, Jesus sounds really attractive, but I, I don't even know where to start. I, I don't even know where to begin. Friend, let me just assure you, there, there's not a series of steps you have to climb. There's not a series of, of hoops that you have to jump through. There is not a spiritual report card that you have to bring before God, earning his approval. Friend, all you have to do it's just declare spiritual bankruptcy before God the Father. It's to come before them, come before him and say, look, I understand that I cannot earn my salvation. I, I could spend my whole life trying to climb steps up to you. I'm never getting there, God. But I believe, I believe by faith that Jesus did die for me on the cross. I believe that he died so that I would be forgiven. And so that by faith, I would be declared righteous in the Father's sight. So right now, today, I, by faith, I receive this forgiveness. And I'm repenting of my sin. That is, I'm turning away from my old life. I don't, I don't want to be the person that I, I've been. I don't want to make the choices that I've, I've made. I'm repenting of my sin and I'm coming before you, Jesus, that you might be my Lord and my Savior. Friend, if you do that, you can do that right now. If you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to, to fill 
your, your heart. He's going to give you a new heart so that your attitudes, so that your, your motivations are changed. You, you're going to know that you've been accepted and chosen by God the Father. You're going to know that you're going to spend all of eternity with Jesus, that you've been adopted as a son and a daughter. This is available for you right now because there are no stairs that you have to climb. Jesus says, I am the stairs. When you come to me, when you cling to me and embrace me, then you will be given access to the Father in heaven. Friends, our, our relationship with God, it is just grace from beginning to end. It is saturated with grace. Heaven is open to us. Heaven is open to the followers of Jesus because Jesus is our true Jacob's ladder. He is our true pathway to the Father. What an amazing truth that is. We don't have to fall into guilt. We don't have to, to then fluctuate back over to entitlement. But we can rest in this truth that we are loved, we are chosen, we are seen by our Father in heaven. What a precious truth this is, church. Now let us worship the true Jacob ladder together. Let us worship our King. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.